Sound design. Some systems I can hear are just tuned for that, like, wow, showroom kind of factor. And then you drive for one hour and you're like, you know, your ears are bleeding because there's so much treble or it's really annoying. Sound design. Sound Design Live is produced independently by me, Nathan Lively, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to Sound Design Live, the show to help you build your career as a sound engineer and the home of the world's first online career coaching program optimized for audio professionals. I'm Nathan Lively, and today I'm joined by Shelley Uprichard, who is a freelance recording engineer and a sound system tuning expert for automotive and electrical consumer products. Shelly, welcome to Sound Design Live. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. So Shelly, I definitely want to talk to you today about all of the strange places that you are doing uh, sound system tuning and your experience working in Copenhagen. But first of all, what is your favorite test track to listen to in a car? Oh, I've been listening to a lot of um, Four Heroes. My wounds are deep. It's just so well produced and the drums sound amazing and, you know, the highs and the lows and it's just great. I really enjoy listening to that. And also it's pretty kind of cinematic. So when you're driving along a test track at the car manufacturer, it's just, it's nice music to listen to. Like cinematic orchestra as well. So Shelley, how did you get your first job in audio? Um, my first job, I suppose, was my internship at Bang & Olufsen in Denmark. And um, I think I got that because nobody else really wanted to go and work on the west coast of Denmark. And, uh, you know, we like everybody in my year was applying for the job and uh, applying for different internships. But most of them went to um, like studios in London, like Abbey Road and Air. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I kind of was a bit more interested in the audio technical side of things or acoustic side of things. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, I spent one year there. You got the job because nobody else wanted it. I'm not sure. Well, some other people applied, but I was, (laughs) (laughs) I fought for it. (laughs) How did you even hear about that? Um, my university was actually connected, uh, doing research together with Bang & Olufsen at the time. Mm -hmm. So they had this connection and one of the, the head of audio from Bang & Olufsen came to do a lecture and I talked to him and uh, said, yeah, I'd really love to go abroad and that would be a great opportunity. And so, yeah, I spent one year there between the home audio and automotive departments. So I really trained my ears and that was my first um, introduction to automotive audio as well. Wait, go abroad. I thought you were from Denmark. No, I'm from Northern Ireland. <laughs> oh. Yeah. See, I can't I, tell. I, I thought you just learned English from someone from Northern Ireland. <laughs> no. <laughs> and yeah, people, the Danes have very good English. But uh, no, I, I was studying in the UK at the time. Okay. Yeah. So this might be connected then, but I'm curious how you are finding clients for doing this kind of work, for doing sound system tuning in cars and for electronics. Um, various ways. I suppose right now I'm quite lucky because I work for one 
not just one company, but primarily one company in France. And they need me for a lot of different jobs um, in the US, in South America and in Asia. So that's really nice. They they find the jobs and then when all of their engineers that are their full-time engineers are busy, then I just take over and I'm kind of their on-call girl. So that's nice. Oh, what you might call something like overhire in theater. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice. And what's the name of that company? That is Archimus. Strange name. It's A-R-K-A-M-Y-S. And they they do audio software, a lot of different algorithms, and then they provide the tuning services. And now I looked at their website and I see that they do have jobs listed and you can apply through their site. Is that what you did or did you were you connected in another way? Um, it was actually because I, another person who was doing an internship there, another audio engineer, um, then went to work at Archimis and then he called and said, we need more people and you've got good ears, so you want to give this a go? And then I said, yes. Nice. And what made him say that you had good ears? Ah, we worked together at, at Spang and Olufsen. Okay, and cool. He was actually, he'd been doing an electrical engineering degree, so didn't really have much clue about listening at that time. And then I helped him learn. I know there's a lot of people listening who are interested in system tuning, um, but are mainly familiar with concert system tuning. So can you take me on a tour of a day in your life? I know we can't really show any video or photos of what you're doing because of copyright and um, non-disclosure agreements that you've signed, I'm sure. But I really want to understand what's going on there. Okay, so I suppose it changes depending on the, the product and on the day and you know, what, yeah, what I'm working on. But if, um, it's a car, normally I have about five days for a car uh, to tune a sound system. So do they send you some kind of, um, I guess they send you some information ahead of time saying exactly what's in the sound system. And, uh, I don't know, do they tell you what problems they have that they want you to fix or they just say, uh, just make it sound good? Yeah, it totally depends on the clients. Mm -hmm. Some of them are very organized and very detailed in what they're doing. And other ones, um, when you arrive, you know, the wrong car is there or they've put the wrong speakers in the car or um, because, you know, each car has maybe three to five radio suppliers um, and maybe two or three loudspeaker suppliers. So you got to make sure you get all of the components of the system right before you even start. I see. Then, so so is that the yeah. first thing you do? You kind of have a checklist and just make sure all the right hardware is in the right place? Exactly. And also the right software, like on the radio and uh, the tuning software, everything has to be matching and tested. So that takes normally about a day to do the... I call it getting to know the vehicle. I mean, you also listen during this stage and listen for any kind of distortions, whether it be acoustic or software-related, um, door vibrations, any kind of uh, problems with the trim in the car, because you're often working with prototype vehicles and they're not the same as the production vehicles. So you uh. got it. The idea is to you know make the tuning situation as close as possible to how it will be for the client of the, the end user. So did you have to learn some kind of programming to interface with the software for the, the tuners that are in the car? Uh, no, not programming, but I, I work quite closely with the programmers to tell them, hey, you've got some bug in this algorithm and uh, whatever, if it's like an ambience or something, 
there's some kind of weird crackling in the back speakers or so I'm working closely with them but I don't program myself but the uh, I mean this tuning software depends on the radio manufacturer um, but they're quite simple actually because it's it's kind of like using a like a mixer of sorts your EQing and dynamic control and whatever other algorithms but if you can use Pro Tools I'm sure you can learn this kind of software fairly quickly so each manufacturer has some kind of interface on the back end that just has like a graphical user interface. So you don't have to learn programming. You just have to have the right piece of software to interface with their hardware. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I have sliders and filters and things you would find in any other kind of digital audio workstation. Hopefully you start with some kind of information that they've already sent you ahead of time. And then the first day you are just checking to make sure everything is in the right place. And then are we already to the second day? Yeah, depending on the on the system. Um, you know, if it's like a luxury system and they have a lot of speakers, then maybe it, this takes longer. Or maybe you only have three days to do an update for tuning, so you, you spend less time on that. But yeah, let's say we're on day two and I'm probably... Uh, I've listened already for maybe three hours in the car, so I know like which frequencies in the bass are going to be a problem, which are going to cause uh, vibrations in the door panels. Um, I know maybe what how the tweeters are responding and which kind of where the problem fi- uh, frequencies are. Okay, so and, how did you how did you figure that out though? Because you just said you were just listening. So are you using are you playing sine waves and like going up from like sixty to sixty one to sixty two hertz to see when things are going to vibrate in the car? Uh, for the bass, yeah, we do that sometimes. Like I'll listen to a track and then say like, oh, the third note in that track is, and then I'll find what the frequency is using. Oh, so some you're test listening tones. to music? Yeah, I, li- okay. I listen to music because I figure. The customer isn't going to use sign tones, so it's more realistic for me to listen to music. And then uh, when I find something, I'm like, is, it, is there a problem there? Then I go back and listen to the test tones and find precisely which frequency it's at. So then are you just taking notes? You're not actually taking actions to fix it at this stage, right? You're just taking a lot of notes. Yeah, it's a, yeah for the first few hours, because... Yeah, maybe I have a massive uh, door vibration at 110 hertz, and I want to, and I take that out. Then, before I've even gotten listened to the treble or the mid range, I've already removed something from the natural response of the speaker, and that's the big risk. Like you don't want to remove too much energy from the system or force a speaker to play in a way it doesn't want to. So you really have to, yeah, get to know the car, get to know the speaker, and then before you just touch anything. Yeah, Yeah. so I guess it's the same thing in concert tuning, right? Like ideally, you fix the car door and you don't um, do any... EQ is kind of like the last thing you would ever want to use, right? No, I do use EQ, but not at this stage. It sounds like that happens pretty often that you're hearing some resonances in the car that you know you're going to have to take care of and some things in the low end. There's also a lot of resonances in the sort of mid frequencies due to the the loudspeaker itself or the position of the loudspeaker because, you know, it's down by your feet and, uh, you know, it's not an ideal listening position you're in. So you get these odd colorations. Um, And then the high frequencies, if the car has tweeters, 
then I'm listening for where that sounds nasty and also checking at high volumes and stuff like that. So uh, when does the tweeter start to distort and which frequency is it distorting at? And most of that I do, I mean, certainly at the beginning I do it by ear and then afterwards I try and narrow down where it is using measurements or or uh, test tones. Great. So tell me about your measurements and what kind of software you're using. And are you doing uh, something that's telling you the amount of distortion that's happening or are you just hearing it and measuring it? I'm using, um, there's one program we use, which is very good inside the car because it's just simple and it's called uh, True RTA. And that's just a real time analyzer. So, and you can change the averaging and the speed and the, all of the basic stuff and it doesn't cause your computer to die. Most laptops can run it and it costs a hundred dollars for a license. So that's really nice. Um, you can also export and import the data and then plot charts in Excel or something if you need to do that. I'm using that most of the time. Even for example, if I hear a problem that I'm singing into the microphone, like, Ooh, where's the note that's causing the distortion. And then I can see that in this program just as a sort of working tool I see. So you're using the RTA just kind of for frequency identification. Yeah. And also measurements. Like I will measure starting at a low volume and then like increase the volume step and see how the frequency changes depending on the volume. Or also we'll use it to measure the engine noise when we're on the track. We'll start at 30 kilometers per hour, 40 kilometers, 50, and make these measurements and say, most people are going to be driving on a motorway at this speed, so we kind of want to optimize for this. And then, um, or most of these car models will be sold with a diesel engine, so we got to have more base in this area because the diesel's lighter than the the normal petrol engine. There's a free one, Rumi Q Wizard. Distortion-wise, we do all the distortion stuff by ear. Um, we're not measuring. Really? Yeah, we don't have something that says three percent distortion because. Huh. At the end of the day, you know, you want to, if you can hear it, then the client might be able to hear it. And so you just want to concentrate on what's audible. There will be distortion. It's unavoidable. People will turn the system up to max, full blast, put the bass up and the treble up and play some like whatever it is, 50 cent. And then there will be distortion. That's what I do. Go, 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 go. There's no avoiding it. You just got to think about how to control it in the best way. Yeah, so tell me about the communication that's going on. At first I was thinking that you just come in, work on it for five days, and then you just say it's done, and then you walk away. But I guess throughout the day, are you sort of making changes, and then you get someone to come in and double-check, and you say, I've made this change and this change, what do you think? Yeah, um, we normally... It actually depends a lot on the car manufacturer, but we normally... um, work quite closely, which is nice. We start at the beginning of the week, we talk about their sound philosophy, if you like, and um, what's important. Sometimes you go there and they say, okay, it's a sports car. It's for a whatever, 30 something professional guy. Uh, We're going to want a lot of bass or we're going to want this. And so we don't care about the imaging, for example, you know, what you should prioritize. And other times they will say, hey, it's a really cheap crappy car and the panel the doors are you know really thin and vibrating a lot and we're getting a lot of complaints so you cannot have 
a lot of base. We need a lot of control in that situation. There's normally one or two engineers I'm working with at um, directly at the car manufacturer, and they will also accompany me when we go on the track. And they say, okay, actually, you know, 60% of our customers for this car or this one will be sold in Australia or this one. So they are there Whoa, giving what, you this What happens when it's sold in, in Australia? Then what do you have to well, do? Well, it kind of means that... <laughs> Well, the driver is going to be on the other side. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> no, just it's good to have all of this information because like if it's a diesel engine or if mm-hmm. um, if it's going to have Bluetooth connectivity, if it's going to like you just need to know everything about how it's going to be used. And then you can make the best decisions just even from the first filter you put in, you know, you're thinking about all of this. So let me ask you about those decisions, because I'm just now realizing that. My parents have a Highlander and I and I've been in several other Highlanders because it's a popular model of car. I'm always surprised at how much bass those naturally have and it's like the only one of the only cars I've been in where I have to turn down the bass because it's just overwhelming. It's just like kick drum, bass drum, uh bass guitar solo until you turn it down like sometimes five or six notches whatever that yeah. is. So is that because someone like you was given the task of saying, "Hey, this is going to be a car where we want a lot of bass." And so then they did that on purpose? We do different tunings for different customers because we know people in different countries have different preferences. And um, the stereotype is that Americans like bass. Yeah. So that's one reason. Uh, secondly, if it's a big car, it's a big cabin and it kind of amplifies uh, the bass in a way that you cannot remove. Even when you put filters in, it just, it's so boomy in there and there's these natural resonance, like standing waves mm-hmm. created by the dimensions of the car. And so it instantly feels a lot bassier. Um, and then thirdly, I'd say, did you listen when you were driving it? Yes. In motion? Okay interesting kind of thing they probably just either didn't spend too much time tuning it or left the bass really high because they think when we're driving a lot of the low frequencies get masked by the road noise and the engine noise so they want to compensate for that some systems i can hear are just tuned for that like wow showroom kind of factor and then you drive for one hour and you're like you know your ears are bleeding because there's so much treble or it's really annoying. You also have to think about the difference in level of audio content because it's huge. So if you're listening to Dr. Dre at volume step five, you can probably hear everything because it's so compressed and you know there's not much dynamic range and it's very loud. Whereas if you're listening to something like uh, some classical music and you want to turn it up louder, you still want to get the same balance of bass and treble and Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Should I say it again? (laughs) Tell me about what you're doing with EQ and delay to change the image. You often get a lot of 200 to 500 coming from your near side. So if we did a tuning for that was optimized for a driver, then you could really remove a lot of this around 300 hertz on the left side only. And then the image suddenly, like the voices jump up onto the dashboard in front of you. Hmm. Yeah, I was also like, what? This doesn't make any sense when I started <laughs> doing it. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of these little tricks you can use. And some some software companies also have algorithms they use to uh, position a voice. So separating the mono and stereo component and then 
playing around with those parameters as well. I read that um, 50% of the cars sold in the U.S. this year will have uh, internet connectivity. So I wonder if people are going to start listening to Sound Design Live in their cars and Pandora and things like that. Yeah, definitely. And we also have to create some kind of smart interface for that as well. It's sort of beyond the scope of my normal job, I guess. But people can't just sit there and browse Spotify when they're in their car, I don't think. It's not really a good system. So there's going to be a lot more of this um, automatic playlists. Or I'm guessing there's going to be things like heads-up displays, but then also a lot of voice commands. Yeah, but will it work? Let's let's finish up kind of the process of the tuning. So um, you're mainly doing it by ear. You're listening for distortion. You're listening for resonances. You're taking notes. You are um, getting people to come in and check on what you're hearing. And you're making some changes with EQs and filters. So why don't you wrap the process up for us? What are the last tuning things that you do and how do you finish the job? Depending on the manufacturer, again, sometimes there's an evaluation panel. And I will kind of say, yep, I'm done now. We listened on the road. We listened in all of these situations. We're happy with it. And then the panel will come. And this could maybe just be two people or maybe 10 people. Um, and they will all listen. Sometimes they do tests for three hours each. Um, so it can be a really long process. And then to get all of their feedback, like 10 different people. I mean, it's important, but it's hard to make everybody happy. And it's it's also very dangerous, you know, the, the engineers just agreeing with their boss, and that's annoying. That can be <laughs> annoying when they just, like, because he's getting the complaints about the door vibration, and then everybody's opinion changes depending on what the boss says. So it's a bit like that sometimes. But, uh, yeah, we go through that process and make some final changes. I will do some reference measurements in the car so that if another engineer returns to work on it, they know where we left off and they can make sure that the radio is playing the right tuning. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, we make a sort of calibration file. And this file is used to be, it's flashed on the amplifier at the production line on all the cars. Cool. Anything else in the, in the last steps? In the last, we also, I mean, we check things like the tone controls, the uh, mode balance, which is, you know, difference in levels between radio and USB and Bluetooth and all that. Mm. Like, we just try and break the system. <laughs> you know, do everything, like put the bass up full and turn this on and put the radio on, like AM radio in a bad reception, poor reception area and, you know, do everything we can to test that it's good enough for a customer to use. And do you see, have you been able to crash a system? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All the time. Oh, really? That's part. That's why you do that. And then you go through and solve each problem on the way. Yeah, definitely. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, Shelly, thank you for explaining um, all these details about what you do in this job. If there are people out there listening who might want to get into this kind of work, what would you suggest to them? If you're comfortable working with unstable software <laughs> and you like to travel and you're quite good at, um, you know, you're a people person because you really, in my case, I'm moving around a lot and each time you go to a new place, you're meeting 10 people from their team and so you have to kind of adapt quite quickly to um, the work culture and the sort of 
tempo that they're working at and their expertise and there's so many variables so you just got to be quite versatile and adapt to all of these different situations if they feel like that fits them then what would you suggest for them to start making some connections in the industry and start getting some work there's not normally one whole job for a person like me and that's why i've remained freelance actually because it's kind of you're too specialized you're not really an engineer and you're not really a programmer you're not really you don't fit into these regular categories Mm -hmm. so um I recommend writing, sending CVs to audio companies and especially a lot of the smaller emerging software, um, audio software companies, because they're making these algorithms and it's programmers that don't know how to hear distortions or whatever. So they can definitely use our help. They just don't know it yet. But um, (laughs) it's more like I'm meeting people and trying to convince them that actually you should evaluate, you should benchmark your your solutions. Oh, really? Yeah, it's often like that because they don't know what to listen for. And they have sometimes a, a good product, but it's like, could be so much better if you just made a demo like this or could be so much better if you, whatever, fix that reverb or, if, you know, they don't hear the details. I think that's the, the niche and people just don't know it. <laughs> like there's no real name for it yet. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So it's kind of still a new thing, even to some car manufacturers. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I mean, before, um, a lot of the standard systems weren't tuned at all. You know, it's just speakers put into the car and speakers that cost $1. So <laughs> it's just, and now they, in order to remain competitive, they have to really step up and they still have the cheap speakers, but you can do a lot with the tuning. Shelley, so I know you're living in Copenhagen now. So have you discovered any good Danish bands? Um, yes, but not so much what I'm hearing on the radio. There's quite a, in a way, it's quite uh, narrow because there's one guy that controls all of the, all of the bands that get on the radio. Yikes. But <laughs> yeah, because it's so small, this country. But uh, I've heard a lot of great kind of electronic music, a lot of sort of bedroom producers that are making really interesting things. Um, there's a band called A Bao, which is sort of weird psychedelic folk who I played a little bit with, played some percussion with. Oh, check out Reptile Youth. Well, Shelly, thank you so much for sharing um, all this information. Where is the best play- place for people to follow your work? For my music production, you can find me on Facebook under Decibel Shell or decibelshell.com. And uh, for audio consultancy, um, I have a, a site called echo-friendly.com. <laughs> Echo-friendly. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and but it's actually currently being updated. I'm going to have it in Chinese as well, so when I go there, I can. Ah. Yeah, but it'll be back soon. Um, and otherwise, you can just contact me directly, shell at decibelshell.com. Sound design. Yeah.